This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sheila Morton in Jefferson City, Tennessee. The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe. Volume 3, Chapter 6, Section A. Might we but hear the folded flocks penned in their wattled coats, or sound of pastoral reed with oaten stops, or whistle from the lodge or village cock, count the night watches to his feathery dames, twould be some solace yet, some little cheering in this close dungeon of innumerous boughs. Milton in the morning Emily was relieved from her fears for Annette, who came at an early hour. "'Here were fine doings in the castle last night, mademoiselle,' said she as soon as she entered the room. "'Fine doings, indeed! Was you not frightened, mademoiselle, at not seeing me?' "'I was alarmed, both on your account and on my own,' replied Emily. "'What detained you?' I. I said so, I told him so, but it would not do. It was not my fault indeed, mademoiselle, for I could not get out. That rogue Ludovico locked me up again. Locked you up? said Emily with displeasure. Why do you permit Ludovico to lock you up? Holy saints! exclaimed Annette. How can I help it? If he will lock the door, mademoiselle, and take away the key, how am I to get out, unless I jump through the window? But that I should not mind so much if the casements here were not all so high. One can hardly scramble up to them on the inside, and one should break one's neck, I suppose, going down on the outside. But you know, I dare say, ma'am, what a hurly-burly the castle was in last night. You must have heard some of the uproar. What, were they disputing, then? said Emily. No, mademoiselle, not fighting, but almost as good, for I believe there was not one of the signors sober, and what is more, not one of those fine ladies sober either. I thought when I saw them first that all those fine silks and fine veils—why, mademoiselle, their veils were worked with silver—and fine trimmings boded no good. I guessed what they were. "'Good God!' exclaimed Emily. "'What will become of me?' I, ma'am, Ludovico said much the same thing of me. Good God, said he, Annette, what is to become of you, if you are to go running about the castle among all these drunken signors? Oh, says I, for that matter I only want to go to my young lady's chamber, and I have only to go, you know, along the vaulted passage, and across the great hall, and up the marble staircase, and along the north gallery, and through the west wing of the castle, and I am in the corridor in a minute. "'Are you so?' says he, and what is to become of you if you meet any of those noble cavaliers in the way? "'Well,' says I, "'if you think there is danger, then go with me and guard me. I am never afraid when you are by.' "'What?' says he, "'when I am scarcely recovered of one wound, shall I put myself in the way of getting another? For if any of the cavaliers meet you, they will fall a-fighting with me directly.' "'No, no,' says he, "'I will cut the way shorter than through the vaulted passage, "'and up the marble staircase, "'and along the north gallery, "'and through the west wing of the castle. "'For you shall stay here, Annette. "'You shall not go out of this room to-night.' "'So, with that, I says, "'Well, well,' 
said Emily impatiently, and anxious to inquire on another subject. So he locked you up? Yes, he did indeed, Mademoiselle, notwithstanding all I could say to the contrary, and Caterina and I and he stayed there all night. And in a few minutes after I was not so vexed, for there came Signor Verizzi roaring along the passage like a mad bull, and he mistook Ludovico's hall for old Carlo's. So he tried to burst open the door and called out for more wine, for that he had drunk all the flasks dry and was dying of thirst. So we were all as still as night that he might suppose there was nobody in the room, but the Signor was as cunning as the best of us, and kept calling out at the door. "'Come forth, my ancient hero,' said he. "'Here is no enemy at the gate that you need hide yourself. "'Come forth, my valorous Signor Steward.' Just then old Carlo opened his door, and he came with a flask in his hand, for as soon as the Signor saw him, he was as tame as could be, and followed him away as naturally as a dog does a butcher with a piece of meat in his basket. All this I saw through the keyhole. "'Well, Annette,' said Ludovico jeeringly, "'shall I let you out now?' "'Oh, no,' says I, "'I would not.' "'I have some questions to ask you on another subject,' interrupted Emily, quite wearied by this story. "'Do you know whether there are any prisoners in the castle, and whether they are confined at this end of the edifice?' I was not in the way, mademoiselle, replied Annette, when the first party came in from the mountains, and the last party has not come back yet, so I don't know whether there are any prisoners, but it is expected back to-night or to-morrow, and I shall know then, perhaps. Emily inquired if she had ever heard the servants talk of prisoners. Ah, mademoiselle, said Annette archly, now I dare say you are thinking of Monsieur Valancourt, and that he may have come among the armies which they say are come from our country to fight against this state, and that he has met with some of our people and is taken captive. Oh, Lord, how glad I should be if it was so! Would you indeed be glad? said Emily in a tone of mournful reproach. "'To be sure I should, ma'am,' replied Annette, "'and would not you be glad, too, to see Signor Valancourt? "'I don't know any chevalier I like better. "'I have a very great regard for the Signor, truly.' "'Your regard for him cannot be doubted,' said Emily, "'since you wish to see him a prisoner.' "'Why, no, mademoiselle, not a prisoner, either. "'But one must be glad to see him, you know, "'and it was only the other night I dreamt—' I dreamt I saw him drive into the castle-yard all in a coach and six, and dressed out with a laced coat and a sword like a lord as he is. Emily could not forbear smiling at Annette's ideas of Valancourt, and repeated her inquiry whether she had heard the servants talk of prisoners. No, mademoiselle, replied she, never, and lately they have done nothing but talk of the apparition that has been walking about of a night on the ramparts, and that frightened the sentinels into fits. It came among them like a flash of fire, they say, and they all fell down in a row till they came to themselves again, and then it was gone, and nothing to be seen but the old castle walls, so they helped one another up again as fast as they could. You would not believe, Mademoiselle, though I showed you the very cannon where it used to appear. And are you indeed so simple, Annette? said Emily, smiling at this curious exaggeration of the circumstances she had witnessed, as to credit these stories? 
credit them, mademoiselle. Why, all the world could not persuade me out of them. Roberto and Sebastian and half a dozen more of them went into fits. To be sure there was no occasion for that, I said myself. There was no need of that. For, says I, when the enemy comes, what a pretty figure they will cut, if they are to fall down in fits all of a row. The enemy won't be so civil, perhaps, as to walk off, like the ghost, and leave them to help one another up, but will fall to, cutting and slashing, till he makes them all rise up dead men. No, no, says I, there is reason in all things, though I might have fallen down in a fit, that was no rule for them, being because it is no business of mine to look gruff and fight battles. Emily endeavoured to correct the superstitious weakness of Annette, though she could not entirely subdue her own, to which the latter only replied, "'Nay, mademoiselle, you will believe nothing. You are almost as bad as the seigneur himself, who was in a great passion when they told of what had happened, and swore that the first man who repeated such nonsense should be thrown into the dungeon under the east turret. This was a hard punishment, too, for only talking nonsense, as he called it. But I dare say he had other reasons for calling it so than you have, ma'am. Emily looked displeased and made no reply. As she mused upon the recollected appearance, which had lately so much alarmed her, and considered the circumstances of the figure having stationed itself opposite to her casement, she was for a moment inclined to believe it was Valancourt whom she had seen. Yet, if it was he, why did he not speak to her when he had the opportunity of doing so? And if he was a prisoner in the castle, and he could be here in no other character, how could he obtain the means of walking abroad on the rampart? Thus she was utterly unable to decide whether the musician and the form she had observed were the same, or, if they were, whether this was Valancourt. She, however, desired that Annette would endeavour to learn whether any prisoners were in the castle, and also their names." "'Oh, dear mademoiselle,' said Annette, "'I forget to tell you what you bade me ask about, "'the ladies, as they call themselves, "'who are lately come to Udolpho. "'Why, that Signor Livona "'that the Signor brought to see my late lady at Venice "'is his mistress now, "'and was little better then, I dare say. "'And Ludovico says, "'But pray be secret, ma'am, "'that his Excellenza introduced her "'only to impose upon the world "'that had begun to make free with her character.' so when people saw my lady notice her they thought what they had heard must be scandal the other two are the mistresses of signor verizzi and signor bertolini and signor montoni invited them all to the castle and so yesterday he gave a great entertainment and there they were all drinking tuscany wine and all sorts and laughing and singing till they made the castle ring again but i thought they were dismal sounds so soon after my poor lady's death too and they brought to my mind what she would have thought if she had heard them but she cannot hear them now poor soul said i emily turned away to conceal her emotion and then desired annette to go and make inquiry concerning the prisoners that might be in the castle but conjured her to do it with caution and on no account to mention her name or that of monsieur valancourt now i think of it mademoiselle said annette i do believe there are prisoners for i overheard one of the signor's men yesterday in the servants hall talking something about ransoms and saying what a fine thing it was for his excellence to catch up men and they were as good booty as any other because of the ransoms and the other man was grumbling and saying it was fine enough for the signor but none so fine for his soldiers because said he we don't go shares there this information heightened Emily's impatience to know more, and Annette immediately departed on her inquiry. 
the late resolution of emily to resign her estates to montoni now gave way to new considerations the possibility that valancourt was near her revived her fortitude and she determined to brave the threatened vengeance at least till she could be assured whether he was really in the castle she was in this temper of mind when she received a message from montoni requiring her attendance in the cedar parlour which she obeyed with trembling and on her way thither endeavoured to animate her fortitude with the idea of valancourt montoni was alone i sent for you said he to give you another opportunity of retracting your late mistaken assertions concerning the languedoc estates i will condescend to advise where i may command if you are really deluded by an opinion that you have any right to these estates at least do not persist in the error an error which you may perceive too late has been fatal to you dare my resentment no further but sign the papers if i have no right in these estates sir said emily of what service can it be to you that i should sign any papers concerning them if the lands are yours by law you certainly may possess them without my interference or my consent i will have no more argument said montoni with a look that made her tremble what had i but trouble to expect when i condescended to reason with a baby but i will be trifled with no longer let the recollection of your aunt's sufferings in consequence of her folly and obstinacy teach you a lesson sign the papers emily's resolution was for a moment awed she shrunk at the recollections he revived and from the vengeance he threatened but then the image of valancourt who so long had loved her and who was now perhaps so near her came to her heart and together with the strong feelings of indignation with which she had always from her infancy regarded an act of injustice inspired her with a noble though imprudent courage sign the papers said montoni more impatiently than before never sir replied emily that request would have proved to me the injustice of your claim had i even been ignorant of my right montoni turned pale with anger while his quivering lip and lurking eye made her almost repent the boldness of her speech then all my vengeance falls upon you he exclaimed with an horrible oath and think not it shall be delayed neither the estates in Languedoc or gascony shall be yours you have dared to question my right now dare to question my power i have a punishment which you think not of it is terrible this night this very night this night repeated another voice Montoni paused and turned half round, but, seeming to recollect himself, he proceeded in a lower tone. "'You have lately seen one terrible example of obstinacy and folly, yet this, it appears, has not been sufficient to deter you. I would tell you of others. I could make you tremble at the bare recital.' He was interrupted by a groan which seemed to rise from underneath the chamber they were in, and as he threw a glance round it, impatience and rage flashed from his eyes, yet something like a shade of fear passed over his countenance. Emily sat down in a chair near the door, for the various emotions she had suffered now almost overcame her. But Montoni paused scarcely an instant in commanding his features, resumed his discourse in a lower yet sterner voice. 
I say I could give you other instances of my power and of my character, which it seems you do not understand, or you would not defy me. I could tell you that when once my resolution is taken— oh, But I am talking to a baby. Let me, however, repeat that terrible as are the examples I could recite, the recital could not now benefit you, for though your repentance would put an immediate end to opposition, it would not now appease my indignation. I will have vengeance as well as justice. Another groan filled the pause which Montoni made. "'Leave the room instantly,' said he, seeming not to notice this strange occurrence. Without power to implore his pity, she rose to go, but found that she could not support herself. Awe and terror overcame her, and she sunk again into the chair. "'Quit my presence!' cried Montoni. "'This affectation of fear ill becomes the heroine who has just dared to brave my indignation.' "'Did you hear nothing, Signor?' said Emily, trembling and still unable to leave the room. "'I heard my own voice,' rejoined Montoni sternly. "'And nothing else?' said Emily, speaking with difficulty. "'There, again! Do you hear nothing now?' "'Obey my order!' repeated Montoni. "'And for these fools' tricks, I will soon discover by whom they are practised.' Emily again rose and exerted herself to the utmost to leave the room, while Montoni followed her. But instead of calling aloud to his servants to search the chamber, as he had formerly done on a similar occurrence, passed to the ramparts. As, in her way to the corridor, she rested for a moment at an open casement, Emily saw a party of Montoni's troops winding down a distant mountain, whom she noticed no further than as they brought to her mind the wretched prisoners they were perhaps bringing to the castle. At length, having reached her apartment, she threw herself upon the couch, overcome with the new horrors of her situation. Her thoughts lost in tumult and perplexity, she could neither repent of or approve her late conduct. She could only remember that she was in the power of a man who had no principle of action but his will, and the astonishment and terrors of superstition which had for a moment so strongly assailed her now yielded to those of reason. End of Volume 3, Chapter 6, Section A